be crazy. Let me um share this out real quick. Hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome to the Artist Exchange Radio Show live from where the action happens. Well, where it used to happen at some point in my life before Rona hit. Uh, but I'm here today. I have a special guest with us today, uh, Mr. DDM. He is joining me. But before we start the interview with him, um, I want to say, one, I'm very disappointed in customer service. I am upset that these conglomerate businesses have not figured out how to do customer service. I am tired of being rerouted to a website that's not equipped to handle the problems that you're giving to it. Uh, Sprint, uh, BG, well, BGE, I have to give them to them. They're the only ones that's got it going on. Amazon, you got you to gotta fake like you about to buy something before they even talk to you. And that's, that's the biggest issue. You have to pretend as if you're buying something from them. Because if you have a complaint, they reroute your ass to the to the website and to the facts section and try to figure out this shit out yourself. But I'm really, I'm just upset with how customer service is across the board. And you ain't gonna tell me you can take my money, but you can't help me do troubleshooting, Comcast, all y'all asses. Like y'all, it's, I'm just done. I'm through. I just finished cussing out a lady at Amazon and at UPS for delivering. They delivered my package to the wrong place and made me call Amazon. Like, how the fuck? And why the fuck am I calling Amazon? And you admitted that you were wrong. But I'm trying to be calm and the Rona and all the protests. I don't want to be that angry black man. I'm just trying my best to be like civilized and and all that. So I'm gonna carry this this uh, interview on. Without our uh, host, our uh, guest for the day, um, Mr. DDM, he has a great new album out. And I just finished telling him he needs to make this into a one-man show. I mean, if he don't want to be in it, <clears throat> I am an actor. I can stretch. I have some experience in the lyrics that he has displayed and such. Um, and today's topic, the topic is Black Boys Don't Cry. That's one of the songs on, I think that's number three or four on your mm-hmm. album. Um, and I got stuck on that one and I couldn't go past it for a minute. Um, and I think you and Fifth L are at the top right now in terms of uh, albums that really say something and not just trying to just exude this masculine energy into the world of hip hop. But uh, without further ado, we got DDM with us today. How you doing, sir? I am doing excellent. How are you? I'm awesome. Uh, we just had an awesome PR meeting for Mary J. Blige. And if you're listening to Mary today, we got some plans and strategies for you. Uh, <laughs> but before I start, how, how have you been? I've been uh, kind of trolling people's pages and getting kind of the temperature check of what, what's going on outside of my home. And you've been saying some things and it's been hitting home. Um, and from the last time we had an interview, I've really um, started following you even more because I realized we did have a lot more in common than I've realized. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we both realized and uh, you are all around artists, writer, hip hop artists, actor, uh, uh, this, it's a producer of content that is just 
outside of what people's expectations are, but you keep breaking down on walls. How, are, how have you been uh, handling like the Rona, being creative, stuck in the house, still working and all that? How, how have you been dealing with all of that? Um, <clears throat> I have been very, um, I've been okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing better than most. I am blessed that I've been able to deal and handle um, a lot of what's going on in the world. Um, with the protests that are going on now, hundred percent get it and I support it. If you follow me on social media, you already know where I stand with that. But um, I feel blessed that I'm able to um, do what I need to do and really... Really, I'm 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 blessed that people actually do listen to some of the stuff that I say. I'm I'm glad that people, you know, I can be of some service in some way, right? And in, in helping somebody's story get out there, or you know, explaining things in a way that maybe someone may not have understood it before, you know. But you you've managed to go global without or international without losing like your Baltimore flavor. And I think that a lot of art, especially from Baltimore, we get into trouble because we try to be everything but Baltimore while saying we're Baltimore. And people can realize it's, it's not real. So why why do you maintain that? Or Because that's, well, that's an important question. Why do you maintain your Baltimore in your music? Because it's so easy for you to go and join the Cali crew or the New York, and it'll be so easy for you to transition to that. Why have you maintained your Baltimore kind of flavor? Um, I have always said that even if I did move to like a Los Angeles or California, Los Angeles is presenting some opportunities to me. So that is on the table, but um, this is where I'm from. It's, It's so steeped in me. And the thing is, I know who I am. Right. Um, sometimes it depends on where artists is in their life, how, how strong they will be. You know, um, I, I feel great in that. I know who I am. I'm secure in who I am. Um, and I don't have to falter in that, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that that's helped me a lot in what I do and how I'm perceived. And also, too, that's what makes me special. If my story becomes a generic story that you can hear at any big coastal city in the United States, what makes, what? why am I listening to you? I can get this from anywhere. Um, right. But you can't get Baltimore from everywhere, anywhere but Baltimore. Um, so it's important that I maintain that heritage and document our history and the feeling and the spirit of the city as much as I possibly can. So I wanna, I wanna, we gonna get into some hot topics because that's what you do best. Uh, I, I appreciate you being a strong black uh, LGBTQ member that's proud of all facets of who you are, uh, artist that's not afraid to show his intelligence. A lot of people dumb it down to prove something to a group of people who not buying your shit anyway. But uh, we're going to get to that in the second half. But this first half, I want to jump right into the Ballad of Omar. When I last interviewed you, this was on the table in the making. You were still in the kitchen, uh, kind of cooking it up. 
and for you to display it. Now, it's everything that you said it was, plus a lot more. So can you first tell us what the ballad of Omar, where it came from? Um, actually, it's a concept that I had for years. Like, I had this concept probably since 2012. But at the time, um, if I had to put it out, if I had made that record at that time, it would have been very surface. It wouldn't have provided the service that it needed to provide. Um, mm. So I had it for a while. Um, what made me revisit it now is I had made Beautiful Gowns. Beautiful Gowns was doing well. Um, and people say, well, DDM, you know, you like you, you rap, you know, a management rap. I say, bro, we need to hear you rap. People want to hear you rap again. I said, I'm not going to rap without something to say. Like, we can do the cypher stuff. That's great. But as far as if you're talking about a body of work, um, it needs to say something. Right. And at the time, um, when I started, um, I reached out to headphones who I'd known for years, about 13 years or so. And I said, I need to make a record about what it's like for me and what it was like growing up in Baltimore. And I needed to sound like the streets of Baltimore. It needs to feel that way. And we started working on it. Um, I reached out to Sam Hopkins. He did Swivel. And Farlon did um, Ra Cha Cha. And um, I just started, my my, my manager, um, Hustle, he was like, you know, tap into that pain. Tap into your past. People want to hear that. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I could write about that all day. But uh, part of the reason why my music had such a pop aesthetic on Beautiful Games and why I was so bright was because I'm a firm believer that people also need to have positivity in the world. Right. But in creating that positivity, we have to acknowledge how we got here. And um, that's what Beautiful Gowns was. Beautiful Gowns is an acknowledgement of the man that I've become and how that man was built. You told someone, I mean, in Beautiful Gowns, there was some truth in it, but I, I listened to this. And I guess because Beautiful Gowns, like I was still like living my day-to-day -day experience and I was doing life that way. But for the Ballad of Omar, it really kind of spoke to just... Uh, it really, it was, it was honest in a way that it was uncomfortable because I, I, I'm in the process of writing a book. I'm working with an editor now. And it, one of the things that is most difficult for me is telling my truth. I can tell your truth all day long. I can help <laughs> you tell your truth all day, but telling your own is like, uh, my mama go ahead and so forth, blah, 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 blah. And you, you added some elements of a life that was maybe would have been uncomfortable for family, for, you know, people that were around you, friends, relationships. What made you be that honest? I, I don't know to what extent this is your life uh, and you can expound on that. But what made you be this honest out of all your other projects before? Um. Because I don't have anything really to hide. Of course, there are certain things that I would prefer to keep in my own internal chest. Right. But um, you have to then ask yourself, how are you being of service? And I am a talking head. I'm a pundit. I'm a social media commentator to a certain degree. But as an artist, um, you go through all of this living. How, how is this living servicing anyone? How is this helping, you know, that young person that's coming up now. 
Um, yeah. How can you, because, you know, I'm not always in a position where I can go sit in a community center all day. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, like, I'm, the, I'm not even going to sit in front. Like, I'm that guy that's out. And I'm just, you know, doing it every day. I'm like, because there's people that's actually really doing that. So how can I contribute in my way and, right. and, and, and use that experience? And sometimes in hearing your story in a popular fashion, it helps you get through. It's like with any form of music. I remember, um, not to harp on Mary J. Blige, but I remember... Mary J. in one interview, she was saying she used to listen to Soul of Soul, Keep On Moving. And it helped oh, her yeah. get through before um, before she got her deal. Right. And like for me, with Ballad of Omar, a lot of these subject matters, it's my story. 1995, that's my story. Boys Don't Cry, that's my story. When I say, and, and I think Troy was on here, I saw Troy on here earlier, but Burton, get your pen, get your paper, because he's about to give you his own one man show. Uh, but I, I, 1995, uh, Boys Don't Cry. And it was, uh, I can't think of the title of the other one, but it's going to jump in my head. Those two alone, like, it was a storyline in that, that just, it was honest. And I, I appreciated it because often, especially where we at right now, where, everybody is feeling marginalized and everybody is kind of feeling so triggered by things to be able to tell a story like that really validates the experiences that people have gone through. And I lived my life in a, with a lot of secrets and it made it really hard and difficult to be creative because I wasn't willing to sacrifice the secret for kind of growth. And I was stunted for a long time because I, I didn't know how to be that honest. In terms of the writing process for this, the idea, maybe even some of the songs, you've had them for years, but putting them together in a project like this, what what didn't make the cutting room floor? Like what what didn't make the album? Oh wow. Um so just to be clear here, with any record that I do, um I always record like maybe 20, 25 records. Mm -hmm. So if if it's an eight track record, I'm doing like that many records. And the reason why, and that's kind of standard in music in general, because uh -huh. you want to constantly record and constantly come up with ideas so that when you, it is time to put that final track list together and you're thinking about how the story goes, how it flows. It's like being a filmmaker. That's why they have deleted scenes or you know, the bonus features because you may go in saying, I want this scene, that scene, and this scene. And it may not always go with the flow of the film. Right. Um, I had a beautiful record called Zombies um, that um, just didn't work with the story that I wanted to tell. Yeah. Now, Zombies will go on the follow-up. I'm working on a follow-up to Ballad of Omar for late October, early November, called Dookie, but um, but it didn't fit. So Zombies, even though I love that record, Zombies didn't serve the overall story that needed to be told on the Ballad of Omar. And I, I remember interviewing you before when you were talking about this coming out. It was like this time last year, and I just remember you 
you you was get you had so much energy in this story, and of course we all know um Omar is from the Wire, but who was your Omar from Baltimore? Like who was your Omar that kind of gave you that inspiration to pinpoint that character? Um, for me, as far as the Omar character, it was based on the Wire in the sense that Omar was respected on both sides of the coin. Uh-huh. Um, and as a rapper and just the overall personality in Baltimore, I can relate to that. Yes, I've had my bumps. We've had some prejudice moments, but I would like to think, um, especially based on the feedback from this project, that I'm respected pretty much evenly on both sides, on the straight side, on the gay side, on the street side, on the creative side. Like I have the respect of people because I like to kind of conduct myself with, with a certain level of integrity. Um, even if I can't, like I had a uh, um, another interview um, yesterday um, with uh, a guy by the name of Ricky Jacobs who does this um, uh, podcast yeah. um, called Liquor with Friends. And I told him, he asked me, he's like, DDM, I just got a bone to pick with you. He's like, you know, um, I sent you a record and you never did it. And I told him, I said, the reason why I didn't do the record, and this was like, the, he sent me this record like maybe back in 2011. I said it wasn't because I didn't like the record. It wasn't because I didn't want to do the record. I said I was poor and I couldn't afford the studio time. And my pride wouldn't let me say, Ricky, do you have a session? Or Ricky, how you recording? Because I didn't want everybody in my business because I was so ashamed at the life that I was living at that time. Right. So that's why I didn't do your record. And when you're like that with people, they respect you more. Like, that's just what it is. You got to be honest. And I, I think that's that's what this character represented. Um, and I just use that character. You know, people like, oh, the wire, Baltimore. No, we're going to flip this negative mm-hmm. connotation you have about the show and that you have about the city. And we're going to tell a real nuanced, nuanced narrative. What I wanted to do to that stereotype to that dramatization that the wire is, is I wanted to give it humanity. And I wanted to give it humanity through the lens of somebody who actually lived in a place that had been sensationalized. Right. And wasn't just talking about something that you had saw on a TV show, but this is the life of a Baltimorean. And not all of us live Omar's life, but right. I can remember years ago, even before I even met you, I who you were was something that was respected. They wouldn't respect nothing else LGBTQ, not a damn thing, not even a family member, but you was the only one that I kept hearing about. And I, I was like, I need to meet this person because who, who <laughs> is he? Like, and I, I was trying to hang out at the like open mics and see if you would come through. And I never got a chance to actually see you perform until years later. But you had that reputation of being somebody that people respected because you lived your truth or what they thought was your truth or what you what you showed as your truth. Uh, but that was that's something that I respected about you because it's not easy living like that. One, because you still have to deal with wanting to wanting to work with people. Sometimes people don't want to work with you because mm-hmm. of who they think you are or you might want to hit on them or dumb shit like that. Uh and it's, it's uncomfortable being an artist in a community that's supposed to be open and arms open and is still, you know, pushing and marginalizing people into corners and comfort zones. Uh, I know you've gone through that. 
But since then, how has it, how have you seen it change in terms of people being more open to working with different types of people versus the same um, kind of image? I've learned a lot, actually. Like, honestly, to be quite frank, it was tough in those early years. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was tough when I first got, when I first came out, it was real tough. Right. Um, and what happened was by being so tough, people not wanting to work with me, me having a hard time, you know, trying to find producers and things like that. In my mind, I started to cut people off mm. and not even, it, it forced me, it made me such an independent worker that I forgot the beauty of collaboration. Mm. And fast forward now, I talk to artists and producers, they like, oh, DM, we'd love to work with you. Or, you know, and not to say that part of that is because the world has changed even in 10 years ago. From 10 years ago, the world has has vastly changed a lot in a good way, in some ways in a terrible way. But um, now, it's it's definitely easier um, than it was. Um, And it also depends on who you're trying to work with or what you're trying to achieve. And for me, it always has to creatively make sense. If it doesn't creatively make sense, then there's no point in me doing it. Um, right. With the sound, and I also go by the direction and the sound of the project. These projects, you know, Battle of Omar, they're working on Dookie for for uh, fall, winter. It lends itself to a more street aesthetic. It lends itself into a more aggressive aesthetic. So it allows me to bring in some of the talent that I may not have worked with on Beautiful Nails. It just didn't make sense to that to that story. Um, but it's definitely different now. It's definitely easier. How is it? What's what's been the reaction so far? I've seen a lot of reviews on YouTube and from different people's pages who really loved it. But these are already followers of yours. How has the overall response been um, from like your various sites that you're selling the music on or? Your inbox, like, what's been the response? It's been different. I, I've gotten responses from people all over the world, people from Germany, people from uh, Norway, um, France, um, which I didn't even think that they would, you know, <laughs> listen. Um, um, you know, it, it's Canada. It's been, it's been interesting. But I think this project, for, for some people who found me doing beautiful gowns and know nothing about my history. They're like, oh, this is different. I like it still. Like, they still like it, but it's like, wasn't expecting this. But people who know my history, they're like, oh, he finally did it. He finally, he snapped back in. You know what I'm saying? I think for the people who are fans and and, and love my work, um, they're very proud of this project. This is the project, and I can tell from the Spotify plays to the Apple plays um, and, the, and the statistics, this is the project that I've noticed people are listening to over and over again. Like a lot of the feedback is, oh, I listened to it three times a day. Or I listened to yeah. this song five times a day. Because the thing is, what this project did for a lot of people, um, and not to say that on a national level this isn't happening, but I think it gave you the gem of hip hop in back in the day when you would listen to hip-hop records and you listen to them over and over again because it was something you missed or it was a bar that flew over your head that yeah. first time, you know? And the feedback, the feedback honestly has been 
more than I expected. I didn't know what people was going to think of this project, and I'm just happy that the response has been so overwhelmingly positive. Mm-hmm. You, it, it, it sounded like one of those records where is it, you've been watching an artist grow, and then they come out with that one, and you know that's going to be the one that pushes them further than anything else has. And like I said, that was that's what happens to me. I got through 1995 was like, uh, he's telling people business, <laughs> going. but I got the boys don't cry, and that became the most personal one to me because it really it it kind of painted the picture of kind of the start of young black men. We're in this phase where black men are definitely targets in our communities now. Uh, but it told a really specific story. Uh, and I, I, the voices that represented the mom and the dad really uh, stuck out to me the most. So that made me listen to that over and over <laughs> and over again. Even I said last night, I was going to go through it and kind of do my own like listening session. But I kept repeating that same one. And then the door knocker ones, you had something for everybody in this one. And everybody, yeah. it was like, the classic Mary or like the classic like Wu Tang like uh-huh. it just really had a and it but it felt so Baltimore but it was clean it was polished and it felt like you really prepared for this one like yeah. you naturally talented but this one felt so clean and so put together like it felt like your first official like package that you want wow. to like and I and I listen to a lot of artists from the city, but a lot of it be uh it'd be like recycled noise that they put out there. But this felt it felt good. Like it felt good saying this person from Baltimore, especially being as though you kind of turned that whole narrative from that the world has of the wire and homicide, you turned that on his head. Uh, a friend of mine just he came from Europe and he told me uh People over there, when he said where he was from or where he was living at, they they the, their only frame of reference was the wire, and and having something like this will make people want to listen to it because they will think it goes along with the story. But it does, but it gives Baltimore a, a narrative bigger than that thirty second loop that we have on everybody's mind around the world. And I think it really, if if given the proper push and a proper promotion, it definitely will reach. It already has reached beyond the seas and beyond just Baltimore or the DMV. Where do you see yourself taking this, or do you see a tour? I know you're already planning for the follow-up to this, but once this Rona is is over, do you see yourself traveling a little bit more with it? Oh, absolutely. I'm actually, and that was the, the, the disheartening part, because Anybody who knows me knows that I'm a live act. I'm not the prettiest person in the world, so it's only with so much that's going to work with these glamour shots and stuff. I am an in-person sell, okay? And the fact that I can't tour this record is so heartbreaking, but I understand. Um, So we had to go to the internet. We had to get inventive, do the virtual concert. Um, Also, too, the thing is, looking at this this project is with it sitting when the world does open back up, I'll have new product to tour. 
I have people who've been waiting to see this situation live and then God willing the Dookie Project comes out the way that I would like it to and the way to shape it up. I'll have two pieces of work to tour mm-hmm. that are so Baltimore. So yes, we definitely definitely hitting the road because that's really to be honest, streaming revenue is cute. But a lot of my money as far as from arts is concerned mm-hmm. is from them shows. I yeah. am a show. Anybody that lives in Baltimore Live in DC, live in this region. Y'all know I'm a show booker, okay? <laughs> and the fact that I can't, like, and that's what was so heartbreaking, too, because, like, y'all know I'm known for a dramatic release show production. That's why and- I couldn't wait to see the video. <laughs> I couldn't wait to see it. If you, I don't know if you can see what this looks like on our Facebook or YouTube, but uh-huh. Monty is playing clips of the actual album. Watching you do that, that treatment was like where you gotta be a smoker. You gotta be like, <laughs> like where where do you come up with these concepts from? Or from specifically that concept? Um, like for me, um with the Lulu Vision concept for the concert, I was like, you know, I'm a child of pop culture, I'm a child, I was a latchkey kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was raised by television. So I was like, we're in an internet, we're trapped in these things. Let's do a concert concept called Lulu Vision. Uncle Lulu is one of my nicknames. And let's do it like a TV network. Mm-hmm. So when I put it together, I shot, um, so behind the scenes, what we did, I shot all of my performance footage in three hours, um, over at the land Baltimore. Um, uh, a friend of mine, Ashley Alexander, she was um, like, you should do a virtual concert. And I was like, girl, how am I do a virtual concert? And um, she, she was like, you got the green screen. And we went and did that. I already had the two animated videos for Swivel on the Ballad of Omar already done. I called my dear friend Menefin Fanzito, who does all of my video editing because we work together with the edits. Um, and I sourced my clips, like all of the backgrounds. I went and picked them out. Um, and storyboarded them. Um, everything, all little wardrobe was just stuff that I had in my closet. I didn't buy anything new or fresh or anything. That's how crazy I am. I just randomly had an astronaut seat in my closet. Um, <laughs> um, and um, we shot that footage, combined it with the cartoons, um, did some of the... Um, put some of the commercials, like I sourced the old WNUV 54 commercials, um, the old footage of Oprah when she used to host with Richard Cher on People Are Talking, um, and just, you know, created a, a short concert, virtual concert experience modeled after um, watching television. I really, I really hope, you know, like every city has that, that sound, that person that kind of defines their community, and I, 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 I'm seeing you move more to that spot. We had like Miss Tony at one time, but I'm hoping that you become that voice because you you are able to paint a picture of Baltimore that is not just the the hood or the violence or the the, the drug dealer mentality look, uh, but you're able to show different parts of our city that people forget or they. They are nostalgic or they just remember from a time gone by, but you're able to kind of incorporate that. Is that conscious or it's just in the moment it hits you and it, it just happened? Is that a conscious decision or it's just natural in you? That is conscious. 
That's okay. a that's a very calculated decision, and it's calculated. And the reason why it is is because I oftentimes am plagued with people saying, "Oh, Baltimore is this." Even when you go into these record label offices and stuff, they expect for you to have this terrible trauma, or they expect for you to be a certain way, and they're amazed when you know how to speak proper grammar and you know etiquette and things like that. They expect for you to be a savage. And when I create these bodies of work, even if it's from a street perspective, I always do it with nuance. And and because even growing up, you know, I grew up around drug dealers and things like that. But the drug dealers I grew up around were smart. They were clean. Right. And and they were a little, they were savvy. I'm from West Baltimore. You know, it was a certain aesthetic, even drug dealers had, you know, at the time. Now, things are a little different now, but even still, there's a certain aesthetic. And so the more positive images you put out into the world, the more images of nuance to to give uh, levity to a situation, that helps. And for the children that see it, for the teenagers that see it, they can have something that they can look back at. And even if they don't feel necessarily proud, they can say, well, oh, it wasn't that bad. We had, let me go look and dig up this person. Oh, Oprah used to work here. Oh, right. Richard Sharon's been doing this for forever. Oh my God. Like, you know, they need to be able to see that. I, I, I just like just the imagery of it because it's not something that we see, especially when you start thinking about hip hop. It's not as gritty. It still has its grit to it, but you found a way to make it like a, this could be on a tourist commercial or something. Like it, it really can be a part of like how people represent the city in terms of its music and such. Um, it, in in terms of continuously putting out music, I think right now was a perfect time because it forced people to actually listen to it versus you know just trying to get out to a show and be seen. But people were forced to actually listen to the albums this time. And do you see more people commenting on your lyrics versus just how it looks, the spectacle of it? This is the first time that I've been quoted by people. Wow. Um, um, which is so the ultimate listening to it. Right. It's the ultimate respect that you can pay a rapper is to quote lyrics. It's the ultimate respect. And um it, it it blows my mind to see people like that Diana Ross line from Over West. I get tweeted Ooh. that at least once a day. <laughs> like, <laughs> at least I think part of it is because people know I love Diana Ross, but right. also too they get they have that visual. Um, I remember the first time I played Over West for my cousin Pop Tart. Um, shout out to Tiana. Um, and when I said that line, she just, we was in Los Angeles. Um, it was Grammy weekend. And she just bust out laughing at this table. And uh, so, yeah, this is the first time um, that I've been quoted and, like, people are saying lines. And it's very humbling. Um, it's something that is, it, it, it definitely make me feel like, I did a good job. And that's all you want to do as an artist is do a good job, you know? What what keeps you motivated? I know you are really uh, serious about the finances in terms of not doing a lot of stuff that's going to cost you or 
break your pockets, but being really smart financially, but keeping yourself motivated outside of the finances, how do you keep yourself creatively kind of inspired to keep doing this? Because it is it's a thankless profession until you get to the top 10%. That is true. Um, while I, over the years, I've made enough mistakes that I fiscally know how to pull these things off. Because right. people always ask me that. They always think it's this magic wizard sitting in my living room that creates funding for all of these things. And I, right. when you've made mistakes and you've done it, you studied and you've had your bumps, you just know how to do it. And also, too, I have the benefit of having a very artistic mind, so right. I know how to do things on a budget. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, as far as my inspiration, I think that's God's gift to me. I think God gives everyone a special gift, and he gives me the gift of inspiration. He mm-hmm. gives me, I, I thank God for allowing me to be the age that I am and still have the imagination of the child that I was. And yeah. I, I am think I used to hate it because I said, I used to say, well, God, if I'm not like, you know, like huge, huge, yet, why do you keep giving me these ideas? Like, why do you keep sending like, and I asked him one night, I said, can you just stop sending them to me? Because it's not, it's not working. It's, I'm not getting there. You know, maybe there's a saying, many a call feel chosen. Maybe I right. just got the phone call. Maybe they called me by accident. I don't know. But I was like, please stop sending them to me. But and, saying, um, if you go into the school system, you see a lot of children are void of creativity and imagination. So that's a blessing to be able to have because I'm leery of these generations coming up behind us that are void of that. Like, it's no, it's all, let me see what this person is doing and let me make it my own. There's no, no sense of let me, let me create something from scratch. That's, that's gone. I don't think forever, but it's, it's definitely gone right now. It is definitely, uh, you know, a different time. Um, He's so politically correct. You know, <laughs> I can be unpolitically correct. But, do you? Um, do you? But um, but it, it is such a different time, and um, but you know what, though, there was a time where I was on a creative um freeze where nothing was coming to me. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I kept asking him to take these ideas away, and he did, and no. like, <laughs> so I gagged. But then it's like kind of like in X Men where Magneto gets shot with the thing and he uh-huh. loses, loses powers and then they slowly start to come back. That's right. what it felt like because I wasn't necessarily saying, necessarily saying, "Oh, can I have my ideas back now?" It was more like I'm bored and like I started going to like a lot of people don't know when I research anything, I always go to museums. I like to go to the Baltimore Museum of Art. Um, in the Walters, I go to the Walters ancient section and I'll sit in the Greek exhibit. I'll sit in the African exhibit. I'll sit. I remember when I was writing um, Boys Don't Cry. Uh, and this is the first time I've ever told this story. So you're getting an exclusive. But, exclusive, uh, <laughs> exclusive. When I wrote Boys Don't Cry and I was sitting with the beat, I actually sat with that beat in the mausoleum section of the Walters art gallery. 
And people think that's weird though, because they when I say I get creativity from that, it was like, but it never that museum never changes. But it's just something in that the midst it's of just, that it's, it's something in there. And when I was sitting in the Italian exhibit and I like to sit in like even for certain things, like I would go into the um sixteenth, fifteenth to sixteenth century Italian um art and religious exhibit where they have all of the paintings and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I would just sit in that area and that's how I came up with Boys Don't Cry as far as the cinema of it. Right. The subject matter came from my life. But this how I was going to cinematically map mm-hmm. it out, I got oh, okay. that idea sitting in the Walters. The imagery. What was your your parents' reaction to Boys Don't Cry? They haven't heard buckets, believe it or not, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus because my mother was not that mean um, growing up. She was not like that, so I don't want people to be like trying Diane because that's not her. That that art, that script right. was taken from Friends' lives. The right. the raps is mine, but that that particular character, that as some of the harsh things that she was saying, that right. was from Friends. Those were from other people's experiences. The father. Is straight up my stepfather all day. That was him. Um, mm-hmm. But believe it or not, my parents have never listened to any of my body's work. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's it's amazing to me sometimes because when I I didn't have that same experience in terms of coming out. So when I do hear that those stories, I'm curious as to where they where those people are now. In your life, and you talk about your parents being very supportive, but them not—is it like they don't—they don't, they don't want to listen to it, or is just not they afraid of the subject matter? Um, I think that unfortunately, and like I said, I don't want to throw anybody on the bus, but I feel like success is measured differently by certain people. And until I'm like on MTV jams, until I'm on like billboards on Times Square, it's not real to them. It's just something that I do. Like because you're you're the creative person. So that they expect this level of creativity from you. Yeah, like but so to them it's like, oh, that's like that little thing that he does. Um so they've never listened to any of my music. Um, and honestly, I'm okay with that. It's like I mean, it, it's often we try to look internally for that support where we should just be going to what is attracted to us versus trying to get people to listen to it that aren't on it yet. Uh, in terms of this is switched the, the lane a little bit. We, we spoke a lot a lot about just being inspired. What has this quarantine done to you? I know there was a moment where it got a little dark for you, but in terms of your, in terms of your creativity, what did this quarantine do for you or didn't do? Um, the quarantine, I, I'm in teletherapy now, so I do see a teletherapist once a week. Okay. Um, so that's really cool. Um me and my cat are super close, you know, because it's just me and my cat. I live by myself. Um, it gets, it's made me start to force to have to look at certain things about myself that I 
per se don't like or that I kind of put off that was unattractive. Um, I have gotten such a better relationship with my neighbors. Like, it feels the quarantine makes it feel like back in like the nineties when you knew everybody's business. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> when you say, "Oh, they don't get off till like five, they'll be home around six. Uh-huh. You know, you're gonna be out around eight to smoke his cigarette because his wife don't like the smell of cigarette smoke. So he come out every night around eight. He gonna talk right. to the man that lives two doors down. They gonna be out here for like forty five minutes. You know, uh-huh. the people next door they gonna come out and walk their dog around seven. My neighbor that lived downstairs from me will probably meet on the porch around six thirty, quarter to seven. We'll sit out here probably for about two three hours, <laughs> chit chat, talk about work or whatever, whatever happened mm-hmm. on the day. So actually, the quarantine has actually created more of a community in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. because there's nothing else to do. Um, so you know that that has that has happened creatively. Um, I'm writing some of the best material that I've written in my life. Was that from the beginning of this, or did it just start? Like I know you said you were in therapy. Now did it start at a certain point, or was that um, blockage at any moment? I would say probably around April, because April. Um, was when I started thinking of ideas for my next project and where I wanted to go. Um, and now it's just, it's easy for me to tell stories. Like I actually do want to write a book. I've actually had an idea for a book for years, but that requires a certain level of commitment. And I'm going to give it that commitment, but not just yet. But right. um, like, yeah, literally since like April, I've been writing what I feel is some of my best material. Um, because you're forced to sit with yourself. you I don't really listen to radio and stuff like that. Um, surprisingly, being at home, I do love television. Y'all know I love TV. But actually, what I find, in, especially in the past like month, like during the day and stuff, and like I don't watch as much TV as I used to. Yeah. So now I am actually coming up with ideas and concepts that, that are really my own. And it, I think that's it's it's it sounds weird to say it like that, but I think we used to go to TV as escape. We've had long days. We worked. We did everything, and TV was something we did to almost put us to sleep or just to simply entertain us. And I, I share that sentiment because I'm not used to. I'm used to leaving out to go teach early in the morning, and then I'm doing whatever work rehearsals the station and I'm not getting in the house to like midnight sometimes. So I had to make my house a home and make it comfortable to actually look at these walls every day and be here. <laughs> it was really hard. And I, I remember you posting a lot in terms of being bombarded with the imagery and the the news and updates because you you commentate on what's new and what's news right. out there. So I could see how that could kind of get to you. Topple that now with this new moment where this gentleman has been killed. How is how is that affecting what you're writing or what you are creatively going through mentally or even therapy? How is that affecting you in any way? Um, creatively, I actually went to the studio last night um, for a small amount of time. Um, and I actually laid out, laid down something um, that I'm not going to put out right away. It'll probably right. be on a new record. But I had to 
capture my feeling in this moment. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you certain songs, um, certain productions, certain beats, they you have to have the right feeling to be on them. Yeah. And you can yeah. write the best song ever, but if your feelings aren't in the place that they need to be, mm-hmm. it's not gonna work. So I took advantage of my feelings and I went in and I laid something to make sure I captured that feeling in the audio. Right. Um, much like Boys Don't Cry. Um, seeing the protest and watching the news footage and looking at America coming to a reckoning, looking at the world coming to a place that it is. We are living in the most unprecedented time. We are living in a time unlike any other. Like, this is truly its own unique time in history, I think. Um, where it's just, it's it's forced you to be real. The fantasy, while we love a good escape, we love a production, because I'm famous for a Marvel film. <laughs> but... Um, it's forced me as an artist to be authentic. It's forced me to be real. I, I can't write something that's not true. It, I, it, that's, and that me listening to that, and I, I don't think you, I don't know if you heard Fifel's album as well. Both of your albums forced me to be more internal. I'm good at separating a reality from just me doing what I'm supposed to do every day, my responsibilities. I got really good at kind of separating the two and almost being this robot. But this moment has definitely forced me to be real with me because you can't hide nothing from yourself on a daily basis. You can get away with it for a minute if you're not faced to if you're not forced to be with yourself. But this has definitely forced me to be with myself in a way that is almost brutally honest. Um, And there are moments where I don't I don't want to talk to anybody. Um, I watched your live last night and you brought up a couple, um, you brought up a couple issues that I didn't, I've heard you say before, but it was, you, we were more clear with it last night. And the one thing was, um, how the gay black voice has been ignored by white gay men and it it has almost separated completely separated us uh, since liberties have been given to us or freedoms have been given to us in a way. Um, I know you aren't necessarily the front line in in the the modern day version of it in terms of the protest, but where are you with um, speaking on that or incorporating that into your work or will we see that that argument be played out in your commentary or your art or just your just who you are will it will it ever be played out i think um actually it played itself out unknowingly on ballad of omar ballad of omar is is actually low-key unapologetically black it's unapologetically queer um and it's unapologetically street um which those experiences, like the Ballad of Dante, right? Right. That song, I didn't know how people was going to take that record. 
It surprised me how many straight people love that record. It surprised me. I got inboxes and, and messages from Butch Queens, Black Butch Queens, the street guys, mm-hmm. who have followed me for years, quietly. And they just had to talk to me about that song. Um, sometimes the way to protest, to way, the way to reject the system and the norm is to just live your life. And in writing the ballad of Dante, that was me living my life. Um, it was a story that is a true story. Um, that I never thought that I would ever share. Mm-hmm. And what better way to reject colorism, to reject um, white supremacy and prejudice in, in the gay community than to tell a pointed, romantic, nuanced story about two men who are black and gay from a different part of the world and a different part of the spectrum in a human way. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate rebellion. And that's what I wanted to do with that record. It, it, you're, I'm, and, and it's hard for me to <clears throat> put in words what I want to say to you was because in my mind I'm thinking too much, but I, I, I have to see this in another format. <laughs> your your music videos are real cute. I like them, but I need for I've seen you on stage now. I've seen what you are capable of, and I know how fearless you are. I I personally need to see this in a different format, even if it's like short stories for each one of them played out. For me, I saw too much of my story in that. The Ballad of Dante, um, Boys Don't Cry. I, I, I saw and it, was, it scared me only because those were those were things that I, I fought hard to compartmentalize and, and keep in a space where nobody saw it, not even the people who were attracted to me or people who thought they knew who I was still could never tell you those intimate details. And it, for me, it gave me an almost sense of release to be able to like, listen to the music out loud. Like it almost was like, I, I found myself like the first day that I, when I bought the album, I was like turning down the volume up until yesterday where I just had it on full blast while I was cleaning up. And I was like, that would, I would have never done that. And I live by myself. I don't even have a cat. It's just me. So <laughs> you gave somebody like me, and I'm, I've been living my life for me for a very long time. Like, I don't have a coming out story, or I didn't have to, like, sit my mom down and tell her, like, what the what the deal was. Or I, I haven't had that moment. Um, and I don't think I need it. I desire it. Um, it's what's necessary for me. But these songs do do that. And I, I don't know if you've realized how important it is to show this. We can listen to it. Yeah. But I think this is something that needs to be shown. And not to bring more people out of the closet or make more allies or 
whatever the issue is, but I, I think it's going to be very beneficial for people to see this because you have been one of the people in a city like Baltimore that have helped somebody like me be to help other people be comfortable around a person like me. Mm. But I don't think you know how much, and I don't want to put responsibility on your shoulders, but you took that when you started rapping and shit. You took that responsibility. <laughs> I, I, you really don't. It has to be shown. Like, I don't know what I would have to do to help support you. If you need a stage manager or somebody <laughs> like, did you like this story today, sir? Like, is, is that what you need? But it has to be shown because it's, I think it will take a lot of things that we're going through in this city over the edge and really force people to see it. Already, people are already starting to be apologetic and showing support, but I don't want that to be short-lived. And I think showing something like this will force people to get over whatever fears or insecurities they may have about their own identity or somebody else's identity. It, it will definitely on the black male side, on the black male gay side, our relationship with other people, even me talking to you like this, and I'm still hiding a lot of what my emotions are. <laughs> necessary, sir. <laughs> and I, are you ready for that level of responsibility? Because that's separate from your music. Are yeah. you ready for that responsibility? Um, this, what you just said to me was just a lot. And I didn't, like, you make these products, you make these songs, you make your art, and you be like, okay, this is our story, you know, great. Mm -hmm. um, I think just listening to you talk is making me appreciate the gravity of the situation. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so funny, because um, Headphones, the way who produced most of um, the Battle of Omar, Mm -hmm. He's from West Baltimore like me. He lives in Atlanta now with his wife and three children. He said, he said, when you do a release show, this needs to be like a play. He said that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know how I would pull that off, but it sounds great. You know? Yeah. Uh, and then with COVID happening, it kind of helped me be able to dodge that bullet. Because it's like, even if I wanted to do a play, I can't. You know? I, I, I Bullshit. Can't. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. Because um, I've been doing, I've been doing a, a, a series of virtual events. And if it has to be just Reader's Theater, it, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm I'm loving the fact that artists have found a way to get through this and normalize this as we do, because yeah. we were the we were the ones who were just thrown under the bus when all this started. And we're normally the ones that can fend for ourselves and we've risen to the top. But like you just said, a lot of artists have hid behind, well, well, I can't do anything, so I might as well just wait and see. <laughs> I, I know you want to work on that next album. But this has legs of its own that has different <laughs> ways that you can monetize it and all those yeah. things. I, 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 do, I will say this. Um, if you and Troy will help me with it. Well, let me I'll call Troy it. up right now. Um, Troy, if and, you listen and, and say something. <laughs> um, 
if you guys help me with it, because I feel like I made the score. Mm. Um, but if you and Troy could help me with it, this is—I feel like something great is happening on a live interview. Um, if you, if you and Troy could help me with it, and mm. we can, you know, work it out and do it, um, and come up with this story, I'm sure, you know. I, I don't claim to be this professional theater or, or scriptwriter because I'm not. Um, All that is bullshit because yeah. there are no yeah. rules. The only rules in theater are there are your creativity and yeah. what you see. You already have that vision. It's just about pulling back certain things and maximizing other things and bringing in voices to kind of counterbalance you. I. Well, let's do it. I'm going to now put the ball in your court. Let's go ahead and do it. Don't, um, don't do that, sir, because you're yeah. sitting in my office right now. And yeah, shit is already, I done already let, started the text message to Troy. Let, let's go ahead and do it. A black box moment. And I do want, I do feel like, um, I, I, while we could do this virtual, I feel like this will be great when the world opens back up. Mm-hmm. Um, a black box moment. Um, and really, if we're going to do it, really tell this story with nuance and make it really, really special. So now I'm going to put the ball in your court. I'm going to, um, I'm going to, I'm about to just, I already you. started the text message to Troy. I'm just okay. going to put saying. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Y'all heard it. If you're watching, you heard it. Val and Omar, the production, honey. Um, yeah, and it's so crazy because in my mind, it's people like yourself who won't let me Ooh. escape. Troy said, let's go. He said, <laughs> he said let's go. You see that? He yes. said, let's go. Yes, I see it. I see it. Um, it's so funny because like, it's like people like yourself who hold, put, hold me to task. I'm not going to lie. I have commitment issues. And a lot of times in my in my mind, I have like you know like this is how I'm feeling. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, that's just how you're feeling. So yeah. I don't think anything of it. You know what I'm saying? I really mm-hmm. don't. Um, but somebody then, else has already told you. Somebody already said it. Yeah. yeah, but he was like, I'm thinking like in stage production, like you know, like a show release show. Oh, that'll be cute. Like, okay, great. Um, but you know, it's not gonna be a typical Shakespearean experience. It's not. It's you. It's Nothing not. is ever typical. <laughs> Nothing. It's not like it, it it shouldn't be because it will not be your truth. It yeah. won't be honestly. Even if you put actors in your place, it's it still has to come from you. It has to be your your story. Yeah. And I'm I'm telling you, for me, I've been working on the same book for maybe like two years now. And I'm at the phase where the editor has given me a list of questions to answer and I'm starting to journal and put the framework together. But whatever that blockage is, um, you have to get around it because it will keep us stifled. And then I literally, I just turned 37 on the 24th of May. And I and I said to myself on the 23rd, I prayed hard. Like, I think I made myself sick 
praying so hard that night. I don't want to leave anything on the table from this point on. And it really, and I find that in people that mirror us, not that say we exactly the same, but people like us often tiptoe around our greatness because we're so used to, and that's another uh, point that you made that you kind of have learned how to navigate the world because you don't want to come across as this overbearing man, black man. And I heard you say that last night and it almost choked me up because I've shrunk myself to appease other people's insecurities my whole life, whether it be women in my life, family, friends, business relationships. I've tried to shrink myself and all this body ain't shrinking. It's still going to be the same size and my light will be just as bright. You know, being accused of doing too much. Well, you ain't doing enough. And I've, I've had yes. to say that out loud to people. But when I heard you say that yesterday, matched with listening to this, like Tr- Troy said something to me doing Pearly. This year is the year for you to do something great for you. Like do something great beyond what you've done before. We know money is an issue. We know that's always an issue. But right now you got enough social capital around you that your dreams are as close as I ask. You know, Monty is right there probably fucking trying to figure out what he could do to help you. Like, and I, I hope he is. And I, everybody that's listening, uh, it's just an ask away. And it took me 37 years to learn how to ask for something. And it don't even have to be to somebody. The same way you pray when ain't nobody watching, that's all you need to do. You see how fast he took that that creativity away from you in that one moment? <laughs> he can do it again. Yeah. But I, all this has, what has this done to you, this moment that we're in right now, what do you want to take from it? I'm not even asked what it did to you, but what do you want to take from this moment that we're in right now? When it's all said and done and the doors are open, the church opens the door back up, what do you want to take from this moment in time? That's a very powerful question. Um, I think that I just want to, if if I could take anything from this, Mm -hmm. is that Pretty much like you say, you really could do anything. You're only as limited as really what you think. Right. Um, and that's that's something that I'm still learning, um, that I'm a work in progress with. Um, and that I'm very much still a work in progress. Like, I still have things that I need to work on. Like, even having this conversation with you, like, it's very motivating. And it's like, well, damn. Yeah, there, there's still... A lot of work to be done, even on on this. Like I honestly, I didn't think this project would have the type of impact or make people think the way that they've been thinking or or talking to me about it the way that they had. I just didn't think it would have that kind of impact. I didn't think, you know, I just didn't think that it would it would do it. I thought it was just one person's story, and you know, maybe some folks can relate, and then that would be that. Um, so. Coming out of this, I'm like, don't underestimate yourself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in 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 the power of words, 
um, words are powerful. Art is powerful. Music is powerful. And I think I I, I kind of forgot that a little bit because there's so much going on. There's so much music and so much art and so much words and so much everything. But you put the music is like spells. You put the right the right concoction together and yeah. you may have something on your hands. Look um, what the music that inspires you, out, even outside of the hip-hop or the rap community. Look at the music that you bump in, that you that you listening to. You know, I like my older girls. You know, I live for a, a classic moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and your music, your music reflects that. Even though it's a totally different genre, you make a moment out of your music and it's it's noticeable. I, I you know, I watch your posts and I see what you're listening to in that moment. And that you share that with a lot of artists because often what inspires us. It's totally different than what actually comes out of us. And you see traces of it, but it's not necessarily that thing. It's just it gives us that energy to sit on and be able to push us forward. But your music makes that. I see Patty and Aretha, and I see them in your creativity <laughs> because you, especially when you're performing, like it's always the 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 aesthetics. Yeah, and that's the that way of performing. Like, I got to get this whole beat together. <laughs> I live for the drama. Like, I, I do. Right. Like, I don't. I don't know how to do understated. That's just not. That's not you. That has never been me. It's always going to be grand. It's always going to be extra. Like, I was watching. Um, it's funny to say I was watching. I have been watching like actually a lot. Sister in the Name of Love um, with Gladys Knight, Peggy LaBelle, and Dion Warwick. And just the sheer, like, I just... Look, it's got to be a production, honey. Um, and I, that's just... I'm going to go through this and take notes. Because there's <laughs> definitely a, a Sister in the Name of Love scene in this somewhere. <laughs> but it really, I think you really... Uh, and, and just as another artist or another artist, what I found in this moment, I've had a lot of days where I just did not do anything. I was fortunate enough where I was able to work from home and blessings just began to happen where I was able to sustain myself as an artist too. But there were plenty of days where I just sit here and I didn't get much done and I had to get up and take a walk or walk around the house or, you know, and, but the other days it was so beneficial to like watch the creativity naturally come out of myself. And you and you're one of the people that naturally have it and I don't feel it's fake or put on or something that you're doing because what else can you do? But you have it in you and and it's our responsibility as artists to use our voice as as we can. And hearing you talk, I hear Nina Simone <coughs> And a Billy Holiday, I hear those people coming out of you because they they sacrificed their fame, which wasn't really sacrificed, but they and to them they were sacrificing their fame to put across those messages that made people uncomfortable in the moment. But look how we rocking Nina Simone now. If we would have respected her like that, then she would have still probably been with us right now. Yeah. And I, I heard somebody make mention of that 
some of our big celebrities, if we showed them the amount of love that we showed them after death, they would still, most of them still would be here with us right now because they were missing that part. But I, I'm, I'm curious, like even in me, like one of my questions that I wrote down, I am curious as to what you're going to do to, to pay homage to a little Richard. Because I, in my spirit, I feel something coming or it may be just a performance day or like when we, we lost some of those, those types of artists, the Andre Pharrell's and what, how do you think we should continue to pay homage to the ones who have passed on and the ones that are still here? I'm starting to look at those Patty LaBelle's and all of them differently now that, you know, Betty Wright did die. That was my heart. Like, yeah. how do we, how do we give homage and give roses right now other than like the traditional shows? Um, you know, for me, the artists, like you said, they seep out in my work. They seep out, especially in my shows. Like, um, if you've been to any of my shows over the past two years, you see Tina Turner, especially during the Marshall District era. You've seen Tina Turner in, in inflections of the Ikeettes, um, inflections of James Brown, um, Going into like it's so funny you put up Patty LaBelle because when I think about Boys Don't Cry, that's like the ballad or like the 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 the, the ballad a slow song of the project. And I think about how dramatic that performance would be um, mm. when I do get to do it live, and that's one of those songs I always envision doing with um, a small orchestra. Um, um, that kind of a piece, but like the influences, and you know the style and sophistication of Dion Warwick, um, the range of Biggie, like you see all of these elements in in my work. I think Boys Don't Cry probably sounds like it could have been off the cutting room floor of Ready to Die. Um, that's that's. You, you can hear my influences and you can see it, mm-hmm. but I package them, I think, in such a different way, in such a odd way. Like, you know, like seeing this big black man and he's bringing inflections of Tina or, you know, Gladys or Josephine Baker. And it's like, oh, you know, like I, I think people mm-hmm. are often surprised and, and intrigued by that juxtaposition. And it is not, sometimes you see that happen and there's no cohesiveness, there's no real story in a project when people try to bring in all these different inspirations and the fact that you can edit yourself. Like you talked about writing way more than you need and being able to edit it down to a story and being able to stick to that story. It would have been so easy for you to throw things in there just because it was hot, but it didn't really fit the story. But this was a story. I saw a story and I was able to see like vividly certain parts of the city that I grew up in. I, I was able to see Myrtle Avenue and Argo Avenue and Westport. I, I was able to see certain parts of my story kind of kind of go weave itself in there. And that's that's what you you're probably getting from people. They see themselves in a way that is probably uncomfortable. 
to many yes. It's very probably, much so. Yeah. Even, even when so. you start hearing the feedback, when they talking to you about how great it is, it's going to be an uncomfortable energy. I can already feel it. Because <laughs> um, people want to say something. So be prepared for the stories. Because you will get it. very um being in um this is so dramatic right now. I'm sorry, but it's a little bit this is so dramatic. Um but it, like being um like I said, the feedback that I've I've get, gotten, like where I live, there's um a parole house on the block. Okay. Um, I'm not gonna point it out, but it's a parole house on the block. And a funny thing happened last week. One of the people that were going to do their, you know, drug tests for parole, um, he, you know, did his business and I was sitting out on the front steps. And he was like, You be rapping, don't you? I'm like, Yeah, right. She's like, DDM? And in my mind, I'm like, Girl, you know who I am. Stop playing. And not even like in a way, like, Okay, girl, I see where this is going. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and um, he's like, Yeah, man, like, you know, I just wanted, you know, that, that shit was hard, yo. Like, and, and I understood what he was saying, um, which actually plays into my dating life because I'm such a public figure and so, you know, honest. Um, a lot of people, believe it or not, a lot of guys are very apprehensive about talking to me about even my work Who and things like that. Who the fuck are you telling? Who, who the fuck yeah. are you telling? Yeah, they're, they're very apprehensive. Um, about talking about my work with me, um, and how much I could tell that he was touched by the project, but mm-hmm. he's at a place in his life where he's only going to be but so honest with me. Yeah. And um, you know, it was it was it was touching. I, I but I could tell that even him just approaching me and saying that took a lot, but he felt compelled to do it, and I appreciate right. it. You know. Right. Um, that, I, really but you go, I, I feel like this is going to be the album that is going to be like that open door for people to be able to come to you or say things or even this, you know, opening up, even though we're in the age right now where people are more comfortable, but it's more like a coat that they're putting on is not necessarily their skin yet. But right. I think this will you will get some stories in that inbox, sir. It's it's been quite interesting, um, to say the least. Mm. <laughs> but it's it's weird. It's weird how stuff like this opens people up. But yeah, if if you could if you could dedicate or do a tribute to one artist right now, alive or dead, who would it be? Oh, child. So many people I love. But if I did, because this artist, I would be able to incorporate um, elements from all of the things I love into the landscape that they've developed in such a short amount of time. It'll probably be Biggie. Okay. It'll He's probably a be Biggie. Teller, a good storyteller. Yes. Um, and he has records that in a live setting could be revamped and reworked 
and I could show off my my stage. His actually one of my favorite. I used to cover this sometimes in shows. Um, uh, the, his song "Ready to Die." I would I used to do a cover of it, but I would rap his verses over um Herbie Hancock's "Death Wish." Mm-hmm. Um, and um, because the sonics of Herbie Hancock's "Death Wish." It's like kind of like this bossa nova kind of a instrumental with great big band elements, and when you have that, um, that it feels like rapping Biggie over a James Bond theme from the sixties, which it I love. Like it will fit. Yeah, I I love that juxtaposition because Biggie is so enraged, and the instrumentation is so sophisticated with the strings. <laughs> Do, 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 do. As I grab the Glock, put it to your headpiece, like hearing a string quartet over that, like, and that's what I was thinking about when I heard Boys Don't Cry um, when I was writing that. So, yeah, Big would definitely be the one. So, that means you want to get more into like opera. Yeah, actually. Five Queens Gryffindor, you're absolutely right. The dramatics of opera. I always said that me in my final form, me in my final ultimate form is like watching like my my style ultimately is hip-hop Broadway. Mm. It's a Broadway show. It's got Elements of Liberace, which I love that documentary, by the way. Um, The Grandness of Liberace. the grandness of um oh what's the opera singer? I saw his um oh my god his name escapes me um opera singer Pavarotti uh-huh rest in peace to the legend I don't know how I forgot that man name but that that robustness of Pavarotti mm. so when you see me it is like Pavarotti Liberace and but hood in a very theatrical format. Don't forget to comment, share this out, post, do all those things. And if you want to show your support for the Artist Exchange and or Be Exposed Radio, please go to our cash app, uh, dollar sign, Be Exposed Radio. Am I correct, Marnie? Be Exposed Radio. Got it. We're still learning how to finagle this, but I am I am really pleased. I'm really excited about what is next for this. And now hearing that you you have a fondness for the opera, you know that's a another form of theater that hip hop has tried to touch because we've done some live instrumentals with certain artists, but to to really incorporate our form of storytelling and your your stories into that, I think that would. And you say you you already writing it right now. You already, it's yeah. done. It's done, sir. You gotta just put it on the paper. It is. It's there. Yeah, That's all the script is. Just put it on paper. Let the actors move in it. But I, I really, I, I really am impressed. Um, and not that I didn't like any of your other music. But when something really comes from an artist place, and I heard you say uh, the last project was for 
for the hip hop culture, but this was more personal and was really for you. Um, what have you learned about yourself in completing this project? I have learned um, that I'm stronger than I thought. Um, I'm lear- I've learned that I'm able to manage my traumas and actually use them as tools and weapons in the fight of expressing my humanity. Um, I, you're so scared of your past sometimes. You're so, you know, like you want to lock it away. But it's actually some of the sharpest tools in your arsenal, you know? So I've learned I've learned to embrace it and use it as armor, actually. Have you ever felt uncomfortable about success because of some things that you've been through? I used to. Um, and I had to personally go through that. Like, it's like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I would be lying if I said I didn't. Um, but I'm thankful that I was able to see my way through that. And now I'm, I'm ready to embrace it in perspective. I always say, like, there's like, even with the reception of the Bell to Omar, I'm getting that now. I don't think I would have been able to handle that or speak to it the same way 10 years ago. I think that, and that says a lot about, so where you are right now with this project and the fact that you're in therapy, is it helping you to kind of, kind of resolve more of that stuff or push yourself forward or? It's helping me to be able to process it. It's helping me to be, it's like kind of having um, a big ginger root and just looking at it, you're like, do I chew this off? Like, what do I do? And like, now you know how to make ginger ale. You know how to make ginger tea. You know how to chop it down and consume it um, in a more digestible format and process it. You know, um, yeah. I'm I'm better off now. I'm better off for sure. I I really I'm I had a lot of I never go into any interviews with expectations. That's why I don't really talk to the guests as much prior mm-hmm. to, but. This has really exceeded anything that I would have hoped for in this conversation because I'm always interested in artists who can go beyond the surface of being a performer or just an entertainer, but somebody who's really creating from a a real place. And I know sometimes stuff can just be, you're not always in a mood to create like that or be that deep. And you said you didn't really think that this would touch people. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of artists make that we try to think for other people mm-hmm. or we totally don't. We, we we don't have that balance of being able to kind of do temperature checks in the community or in the world like we should. And we just create from wherever we are. I think I'm telling you, there are a lot of people listening to this that may be uncomfortable to talk to you. Uh, or because if, if you telling, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a let I'm that go. I'm business. 
and I say it like that because a long time ago, I thought about doing uh, a one-man show about park life. This uh-huh. is what happens when ain't nobody looking. Uh, right. And I, being crazy, I lived in Park Heights for a short period of time. And I, you know, just wanted to take a walk and stumble doing some shit. I didn't think I was, I wasn't ready to see. And just right. understand it is a whole culture. And I had a lot of people like, that ain't, don't do that. Yeah. Because people didn't want that space to be like opened up in a different way where people can read about it. or, And so I didn't touch it because I was like, oh, that's some sacred to somebody. I don't want to, but I doubt you know what's cutting out my you, you know, not to cut you off. So you know what's interesting? The city paper did an expose on that back in 2004. I'll never forget that article. Yeah. Yeah, because this is the first time that I found out, and even to some of the people that's watching now, we're still speaking in code to them because they don't know, they have no idea what we're talking about. They have no idea, and it's so funny because you're one of the few people that picked in 1995. Because to the average listener in 1995, they think, "Oh, we you're one of the few people that really picked up with that second verse is about." That's why I said you and people thoughts, especially right now where people thinking about stuff that they've done or mistakes or whatever, that was right on time because it was, and what ultimately what kept me away was because I ran into professors and bishops and deacons. And and I was like, no, it ain't the life for me. I can't do that. But I, I really, that's why I say that I'm I'm gonna make myself just as responsible. And Troy's already responded back, but I, I think in total, and that's not all of who you are. Right. But I just know that there's more that you want to say, and it's kind of awkward because why do I need to say that? What what reason do I have to say it? But theater allows us liberties that music doesn't always allow, or film and TV doesn't always allow and you you get a certain level of freedom just like when you're performing live it, it is that same freedom that you get and you can restrict in certain places and be able to you know kind of breeze over certain things but you are forced to be as honest because you're naked in front of people you're 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 creatively naked in front of people so you can't hide the, the truth, because then people can see, oh, he cut out a big part of that story. Uh, let's, right. let's snooze why, until he gets to the next real part. But I, I really am, I am impressed. I'm really, uh, I have much respect for your talent. And you have a city behind you because just the buzz of this. I saw people reviewing this that I don't ever see speak <laughs> about creativity or artists who have no art. My my sister have seen this, and oh, I wow. said, you don't you don't look at my shit, and you out here talking about this. But <laughs> I, I I'm I'm all for it. I love it, and just and and just in us closing, let us know where we can find your music, um, and where can we uh support you, or how how do we get to your music? Um, it's available on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, like the, all platforms. 
Um, the Ballad of Omar. You can find me on social media at Dapper Dan Midas. Um, you know, on all outlets. Um, also to for my political junkies. You can also um watch my political uh roundups and some of my music videos as well on youtube.com slash secretary of shade. Um but you can find them pretty much on all platforms everywhere. And in terms of uh your your uh your release that you did the the live concert the virtual concert is that is that still on social media or can people? Uh, yes, that's on that? uh, YouTube.com slash Secretary of Shade. Um, you can do Lulu Vision, or now it's become Google searchable. Now it's a thing. Um, you can just uh, type in Google Lulu Vision or DDM Lulu Vision, and it'll pop right up. Are you? I mean, just not even to go backwards, but are how are you? All the work that you put up. With or put in all this time, and this one project is the thing that's pushing you forward so much. Like it is already, I think, took over where your last project was. Yeah, like it's already at the point of where all your work is kind of overshadowed some things. But how do you feel in this moment? Like, I'm, I feel fine. You know, I've never. I love it like, oh, y'all should have listened to this project if y'all like this. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not like that. Whatever people relate to, because I feel like ultimately, um, yes, I make these different bodies of work, but ultimately it's you're buying into the person. You're buying into the individual. Um, so for me, you know, um, if the Ballad of Omar is the piece that, 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 that swept people away, I'm all about it. Um, there's always going to be I think one one thing that people respect about me is that it's never the same thing over and over and over again. But we're um, just waiting for the drama of it. Over. Like, it's <laughs> never the same thing. But I just, I'm waiting for the shock value, the spectacle. Yeah. Of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my first live, live performance like that I put on and depending on how things go with the, the theater production, it's going to be a spectacle. It's, it's, I don't know how to make it not a spectacle. But we're we're getting a few questions in. Um, oh, uh, questions for real? We put in that the Pepper Spring just started in D.C. They're tear gassing everyone. How do you feel about the protesting versus the riots? Um, protesting and riots are two different things. Um, versus, like, I feel like, you know, as far as, you know, that is concerned, that piece, um, there are people who are out peacefully protesting. You have some people who we've seen um, over time and in, 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 on, on social, both social media and, you know, more traditional news formats who are hijacking what Black folks are out there for. And, you know, using this time to express their frustration, albeit, you know, they may be frustrated with the government, but it's for a totally different reason. Right. Um, the difference is you're not doing that on your own time. You're doing it on our time. And, 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 and on our time, the thing is, you're not going to suffer harshly. We will. Yeah, so I do, have, I, do, I do have a problem with that. 
Um, if you want to, you know, destroy property and vandalize because you upset it with the government system, you can do that any day of the week, sis. Don't wait till we have men and women out here losing their lives to, you know, police brutality to be like, all right, so since they out there, now I can go out there undercover and do what I need to do. That's and I've been saying that, that. I've been saying that a lot. Like, why do we wait until it's election day to start mudslinging? Where were you at throughout that person's whole term? Right. Why, why did you wait until this moment to be upset? Or when pol- police have been using uh, obsessive force, why are you? Why does it take somebody dying for you to protest or get mad at it? Uh, it's, I think it's, that, it's it's interesting. Do you think the next question was? Do you think we will achieve the justice we want? I think that's such a narrow question. Not that that person's narrow, but the I'm justice not, I'm not that, narrow. <laughs> okay, um, I'm Um, I don't think that. The justice that we want is something that some people going to have to die out to get. Right. Um, the justice that we want and the equality that we want. Because someone online posted um, something that I thought was very pointed, very poignant, and very real. He posted, he said, um, America should be lucky that uh, black people want equality and not revenge. Mm. Mm. And I think it was Icon Billingsley or someone like that. I think it yeah. was him. And when he said that, I, w- I was like, okay? Like, yeah. I yeah. was like, that's a gagger. Okay? And, and that's, um, that's, that's a, because I've seen people holding flyers that saying. You think it's bad now? Wait until he doesn't get convicted. And I, in my mind, I'm like, this could really, if it got to this point this fast, yeah, it could be in rubble. I think uh, somebody said they're already at. Did I read that correct? The protesters are at the Minnesota governor's mansion right now. That sounds about right. Um, the thing is this though we have organized groups who specialize in this kind of stuff right most of this isn't really you know a lot of like the average everyday citizen that's spearheading some of the more like intense stuff not that I'm necessarily against any of it but um, you talk to the average everyday working person they ain't showing up you know you know, they ain't just going to be molly-whopping, you know, cars and all that stuff. This is, yeah. this is, this is a time, and, and you know, but honestly, I'm going to be very real right here. Even if this stuff is orchestrated by other outside organizations and things like that, the government has to bear responsibility for it because had you governed correctly from a federal level, mm. had you done things the right way, had you, in some cases, just shut the hell up. And mm. I, was that was that comment necessary for you to tweet? 
Was that press conference in the Rose Garden necessary to have? Was it necessary for you to say this type of leader that would everything isn't necessary just because you thought it don't mean it needed to be said? Right. So this protest and the reason why it's going on and on and on. Yes, George Floyd is the straw. Mm -hmm. But he by no means is the broom. Okay. The broom is the last four years. The broom is people being also in their homes locked up from coronavirus. The broom is also people not being able to get unemployment from a lot of their local governments because the local governments, quite frankly, wasn't prepared for anything like this. Their websites wasn't prepared for anything like this. Their staffing was not prepared for anything like this. Uh, another question came and says, do you actually believe in the voting system? I do believe that it's necessary because otherwise there has to be some kind of a system, some kind of anarchy, some kind of protocol. Because without it, you do have anarchy and chaos. I'm sorry. I don't want to live in anarchy and chaos. No. Do I think that people need to be able to express themselves? And sometimes that form of expression has to be violence. I absolutely agree. I'm here. I absolutely agree. Sometimes you just gotta let people fight. That's that's a hood principle. It ain't gonna be right till they fight. Okay. Um, but I do think that you should vote. And for and for anything, people say, "Oh, you why vote and all that." It only takes but five. It's not a long process. No. It's really. You know, for some places and some people where, like overseas, you look at some of these countries where they got to stay in the line all day. Like, it's really not that different. Why wouldn't you vote? Right. But you're, 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 you're getting mad in the in a, in a system and a process, and you're not even presenting, uh, participating. So, even on a local level, like local elections matter. Now, the electoral college piece. I definitely think that that's outdated and it needs to be overhauled. That's just a fact. Because um, most people don't even realize that they're voting in the people who decide who the president is. They don't even realize that they're voting in that person when they just check in the box. Right. Even on, on the um the ballot we have for our election here for the primary in Baltimore, it says on there the delegates for the Democratic National Convention. It says it on there who you're picking. Just take five, 20 minutes out your day and Google these people. I know plenty of people who know they, well, I'm voting for Sheila, but they just bubble in or they don't answer the rest of them. And that's, you're doing yourself a disjustice. Um, uh, they, somebody just messaging, your president just declared he is the president of law and order. I, I just I need for this to be over. I don't. It's care. not gonna be over no time soon. I, I I know, but I I don't care what shape this country is in this time next year. I just don't want that person to be there. Yeah, I agree. I I I just can't put myself in that space. Uh, and as we wrap this this conversation up, um. What what would you say to the people out there who are still holding on to a ballot, not sure whether they should vote or 
kind of torn between it. I know um, on your show yesterday, you talked about the census, how important that is and filling it out. Can you can you put a cry out there or a message out there to people who are still at that phase of not realizing how important it is to have a voice and beyond voting day, stand consistently on the necks of the government and their elected officials? Here's the thing. This is probably the only thing, the only way that you have any type of say in your local government. Because you really don't have a say outside of this. Once they get in office, they can then change laws to make it even harder for you. Mm -hmm. And my thing is, once again, it's not a long, arduous process. You will go stand in line for Jordans. You will go stand in line on Black Friday. And that's every year. You only got to do this once every four years, every once every two years. Like, I don't understand why it's such a resistance to doing something that's so easy. Now, if you go out there and vote, if we got the voter participation that we need, and mm-hmm. and, and, and you still wasn't getting the results, or, but you don't even do the vote. More people vote in America, voted in the American Idol at its height. More people was voting for that than they were for their public officials. Yeah. Yeah. That's just the bottom line. That's just a fact. Yeah. You know, like, come on, man. Like, really? It's scary because a lot of people who are complaining are the very people who aren't voting and and aren't uh, aren't really putting their voice to work. Um, and we see that in the school system with most schools don't even have a PCA anymore. Uh, neighborhood associations are dwindling. Uh, people aren't using the power of their voice. A lot of people speak about not, not, it not mattering because they will do what they want to do. But when they don't see us showing up, they have every right. When we don't fill out their census, it, it, they can't tell me that they don't know all these damn children still live in this area or all these people still live there. But they use that because you didn't fill it out. We don't know you still exist. We don't know you're right. Still- so we don't have to put resources into this one uh, economy. Me and Monty argue a lot of times about how they're like the, all the thing, all the bills that both Hogan and Trump are vetoing right now that impact us long term. Like mm-hmm. Hogan sees more importance in and making sure that the racetrack is rebuilt than he did putting money into the HBCUs or the school system in at large. Yep. And they're not saying those things and how it's important or how it may not it, it may not affect us in this second, but in 10 years, when you your newborn is going from the fifth to middle, it's gonna affect them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to rebuild schools, but it's not happening fast enough. It's still students that are in schools that don't have proper ventilation, that they're not gonna be able to go back because their school isn't equipped to be able to house them in the midst of a pandemic. It's not going to be able to happen. Yep. You know, so we see that in, you know, certain school system, it's still children as me being one of the virtual teachers, it was still children that did not have a computer that they were literally on their parents' smartphone in school. 
like doing virtual education on their parents' phone. And that was just, and don't, not to mention the family that had multiple children and did not have the equipment to be able to use. But I, I, I'm, I'm weirded out. And it's one of the reasons that I follow you on your, on your podcast series, because it really, I don't, I'm not as, I'm good at knowing policies and laws and history, but the everyday application of it wasn't something that I, because I was an artist, so I didn't put my my thought process into that. And it's helped me to really, uh, really see the day-to-day of it and mm. kind of learn all the information that it takes to be a day-to-day resident of the United States versus, you know, somebody who just votes and just knows what these terms are and know what the historical value is. You got to go beyond that. Because that's where all these conspiracy theories come from. Because we don't know, mm-hmm. we don't know what the real rules and regulations. You gotta are. know what's going on. Yeah, you're not. Are you finding yourself learning more about the politics, the political system since you've been doing your uh, podcast? Absolutely. Like as far, especially as how it applies to the everyday, and it applies to the court systems. Like I did a. Uh, special about what a week or two ago two weeks ago um um when i discussed ahmaud aubrey this was pre-george floyd and i talked about how trump had appointed so many appeals his administration has gotten so many appeals judges through appellate judges through and how it affects the justice system so that when these people who do these egregious things um go to be tried and go in front of a judge guess what it's a republican judge or it's a a right-wing judge or, or a judge that's not going to, they're going to be like, all right, slap on the wrist, you know? But when you come through, it's going to be, give them the book. Yeah. Are you, a, and, I, and I've spoken about this, and it's, it wasn't necessarily the Me Too movement. It was the various people that were pushing the Me Too movement. As a Black man, I became uncomfortable. So that feeling that you you spoke about yesterday about kind of not being as loud or not being as you know upfront with your personality in front of people, I I felt that for like the last five years, I felt that I did not have, I couldn't use my voice. I know I have a voice, but I felt like as a big black man that I didn't, I could not be myself, and mm. I had to kind of shrink myself into a space where other people will be comfortable around me. With with these deaths back to back to back to back, like we've been seeing over, just over the course of this year, because Ahmad was the beginning of this year, the very beginning of this year, and now we're here with this gentleman. Are, how do you feel about being a Black man in this community? Just being a Black person in general, because you can't, Forget Breonna Taylor and all of the women. I yeah. mean, even even um, Philando Castile's girlfriend mm. and the, the 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 trauma that she experienced being there and going through this. Um, I think about that child that was in that back seat. Yeah, all the it's, time. It's a lot that you that you deal with. It's a lot that you go through. Um, it's exhausting. That's the best way that I I feel exhausted. But I feel like I, I, I don't have any space to stop working. Yeah. I just am going to be working exhausted. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, that's that's the best way to describe it. Exhausting. Yeah. It it I used to describe it as a numbing feeling, but in this moment where we were almost forced to hear the information every single day, mm-hmm. it has definitely forced me to um be vocal and not just sit on my thoughts. Because right. I think a lot of people would have killed themselves had we not had an outlet like Facebook or something like that to be able to speak, even if it was in ignorance, be able mm-hmm. to speak. I think that the suicide rate probably would have been much higher than what it is right now. I could see that for sure. Because yeah. it's not like not having outlets or not having a vehicle to be able to speak in is is detrimental. So I appreciate you giving information as real and as raw as you do, because I don't often as an artist feel as comfortable doing that uh, because I'm not a politician. I often have felt that I didn't really have the space or the platform to be able to be that um, open about it. And I think until people saw you doing it, they didn't really um, see themselves in the equation because you didn't cut any cards or you didn't really water down what the message was. Um, so I've really, I, I'm just a fan, a follower all the way around uh, DDM. I really appreciate you. And uh, we're, we're at the end of what was supposed to be an hour and a half right now over two hours now, but I do appreciate you. And I'm here, as I said before, I'm here and I'm, I'm going to, Keep you under the fire, sir. Uh, okay. We're gonna. I, I, I want to see that project come to fruition. I want to see your voice in the platform, and, and only because I've saw you as Eveline and not equating the two, but I saw the hesitation and I saw the fearlessness all at the same time. And I'm telling you, theater is scary like that every single time. And we did that for what a couple weeks. Yeah, of that production, it's it's every time for me is like the first time stepping on stage. Yeah, it's a new audience, it's a new day, and you coming in there with feelings from whatever moment you coming from. So it always feels different. It always gonna feel difficult. That's just live theater, and it, it's just like you feel on stage. Uh, but you've made the musical stage your home, and I'm just saying. The theatrical stage is there for you to be able to take all that. Look at how many musicians now got a Broadway show. Like, take it to another level and tell your story. Like, the weight of it sometimes is depleted when we share it. It no longer belongs to us. But sometimes we like getting high off that story. But we're in a moment, a season of healing. Like, we got to heal and we as artists we have that responsibility to share and give that blueprint to people because often they don't have it but um my last question to you is what question would you ask to your 17 year old self and what no what advice would you give to your 17 year old self and what question would you ask to your 100 year old self oh oh um <clears throat> I 
to 17, my 17 year old self, I would say, see, if I say, give certain advice, it's going to change the outcome of the person I've become. And that's, mm. And sometimes it be like that. That don't mean your 17-year-old self will listen at 17. They might listen at 21 or 25. Right. Um, um, I would say to my 17-year-old self, stop being so scared. Um, people may, you may face rejection, but you're not going to die. This is not worse than death. Um, mm. Secrets can kill. Yeah, go go ahead and I would also say, go ahead and get your little degree. Even if, you know, you're going to face the same problem, just go ahead and, and tough it out. Um, and just let go of some of that fear. Let let it go. Um, what I would ask my 100-year-old self, two questions, actually. Was it worth it, and did you pass it on? Mm. Mm. And I always suggest that my guests take these two statements, these questions and statements, and ask yourself over time. Like, don't, not, it may not be real, but in six months and a year and a half, this time they should ask yourself that question as you achieve and you move to different levels and watch how the question to your 100-year-old self in the statement uh, or advice to your 17-year-old self, watch how it changes. Watch how it grows or goes backwards or use that as a gauging point. These questions, these two questions that I, I give to you all is something that I give to myself a lot. Sometimes I got to ask myself every day. Sometimes I go a year or six months before I ask myself again. But it's helpful to kind of gauge growth and, and all that. Similar to journaling, but I'm not good at the writing thing. I'm good at the question thing. So um, thank you, DDL. Thank you. I wish you so much success beyond measure, beyond what your hands can hold in this moment. And if you have not already done so, look up the Ballad of Omar. It's on all digital platforms right now. Go out, support them, share it. Go to your page, write up about it, and tag them in it and tell them how you felt about it. Um, Absolutely. This, this has been the Artist Exchange Radio Show. Next up, we got Talk Lately tomorrow at 7 p.m. Um, don't forget, if you want to support the Artist Exchange Radio Show and Be Exposed Radio, go to our cash app at uh, Be Exposed Radio, or you go to PayPal at info at, the, at Be Exposed Radio.com. Um, thank you. Be Exposed Radio. Be Exposed Radio. Dollar sign. You said at. Dollar sign. I'm sorry. Dollar sign, Big Souls Radio at Cash App to support us. Yes, money. <laughs> so thank you all. Peace out.
Be safe. Keep it in your pants. Ooh. <laughs> Bodily fluid. Taking <laughs> over myself. 